Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Well, on this edition of the Family Renewal Podcast, we want to talk about something that we touched on in our introductory show, and that was a chapter that I had written in the book Full-Time Parenting, A Guide to Family-Based Discipleship. Um, the chapter was called How I Taught My Children to Sit Still and Be Quiet. It's probably been the chapter that sold the most copies of my book single-handedly. Uh, but I want to cycle back around to that because we've had some questions online about it. We've had people who have asked us to share a little bit more in detail. Um, one of the things that has motivated us to write that chapter was the fact that um, we have, from the time that our children were born, had a practice when we're home and we're not on the road traveling. Uh, it's hard, really hard to keep a routine of any kind when you're on the road. But when we're home, we've tried to be very diligent about uh, family worship or uh, family devotions, Bible time, um, happening consistently every day. And uh, we also as a family, have a preference that we like to keep our children with us during the church services on Sunday, that our children sit with us during that time. Um, that's not something that we feel is a, a biblical mandate, but we do feel that um, there are some good reasons for, uh, at least for our family, doing that, um, one of which is it gives us the ability to be able to um, talk together as a family about the service afterward and to be able to have everybody on the same page because we all heard the same message. Uh, but also, we feel that it's important for our children to get used to sitting in the main service and being able to hear uh, the Word of God preached. Um, I remember years ago, Brooke, we were at a um, college and career retreat with a group of young adults. Remember that? Yes. And uh, we were talking with them about preparing for marriage and I asked them to, to do this. You know, I asked them uh, if they would consider going to somebody in their church who'd been married for 25, 30, 45 years, something like that, an older married couple in the church, and asked them questions about marriage. What does it mean to have a good marriage? And mm -hmm. how can you, um, you know, stay close together, even though, r relationally, even though you've been married so long? And basically ask an older married couple in the church if they would mentor you on the topic of marriage. And I remember that idea just didn't go over. I mean, you could tell, sometimes as a speaker, you can tell whether you're connecting with your audience or not. And I could tell in this particular situation that we were not connecting. And so I asked them, I said, what, what is it about this idea that causes this to disconnect for you? And uh, finally, after a long, awkward pause, there was a young lady uh, who raised her hand and she said, well... She said, I don't really know the older couples in my church uh, well enough to where I would feel like I could go to them and ask them to mentor me or start asking them very personal questions about something like marriage. And so I said, okay, well, how long have you been a part of your church? And she said, well, all my life I was born at this church. 
And I said, well, how could you have been born at this church, have attended this church all your life, and yet you don't know anybody in the church that is uh, an older married couple? How could that happen? And she said, well, you know, I know some of their names, and a few of them I might even know where they work, that kind of thing, but I, I don't know them at all. I don't have any relationship with them. Uh, this was a, a fairly large, well, by, by large, that's our relative, I guess. It was a, uh, we've, we've always gone to very small churches. It was a, it was a Southern Baptist church of probably five or 600 people, I would say, which for us is large. So sorry, mega churchers. We're, we're, we're used to r- small rural country churches. Anyway, so, uh, I just asked, you know, uh, how is it that you don't know these older couples? And she said, well, when I was a baby, I was in the nursery and then after that, I was in the daycare, and then I was in the, um, you know, whatever they call it, junior church, and then I was in the, each uh, Sunday school class had their own age, so I was in first grade, and then second grade, and so on and so forth, and then I was in junior high, and then I was in the senior high class, and the youth group, and all that, and she said, um, now I'm part of this thing called Crossroads, which meets on Tuesday nights. Crossroads was for college age, college and career age students who were like 18 to 26. And so she was, I think, 26. And, and so she was just at that age where she was about to have to leave the group. And she said, frankly, I've never sat in a Sunday morning service at our church. And she said, the thought of me going and doing that actually is something that doesn't appeal to me at all. I don't know the people. They're all uh, way older than I am. I don't know them. I don't have any relationship with them. And basically, Crossroads is my church. And uh, it's kind of a whole other topic there, but just Crossroads was led by a really nice young man, but he was 23 years old, and uh, his connection to the church was that once a month, he would have a coffee with the associate pastor in the church and tell him what they had done for the month, um, whether they you know went on a retreat or skiing or snowboarding or, you know, whatever it was, camping or some kind of thing that they went and did, um, they would, he would meet with this associate pastor and would basically, uh, give him the update. And that was the only connection that these young adults had with the church. And so growing up, their whole church experience was them being downstairs, uh, with their peers, with their own age group. And that's kind of the way that church has been done for the last 150 years. And it started with um, D.L. Moody. It actually started in England, the uh, Sunday school movement and children's ministry. Um, but the church, uh, not churches, but actually individuals like D.L. Moody were trying to help children who had been orphaned mainly after the Civil War uh, in America And so you had these thousands and thousands of children who were running the streets of Chicago and other places around the country, and they had no parental oversight. They couldn't read. They couldn't write. They had very few prospects of uh, being hired or employed because they were illiterate. And so D.L. Moody and others wanted to find a way to be able to evangelize these young people. So they basically started these Sabbath schools, uh, later called Sunday schools, and they started to teach them how to read and write using the Bible as a textbook. So it was kind of an evangelistic outreach, but it was a literacy program. And it didn't happen inside the church buildings at all, uh, frankly, because the churches didn't want these street urchins 
in their churches. They were very concerned because these churches were um, made up of, you know, kind of stodgy church people, and they didn't want these ruffians in the church. So people like Moody found it hard to get acceptance for his Sunday school programs among the church. So the Sunday school initially happened outside of the church program without the blessing and sanction of the church. It was actually opposed by the church. And then finally, um, some of the churches started to allow people like Moody and others to use the basements of their church for these children and to have services that went on downstairs for them, uh, these literacy training programs, and they would sing songs and teach them the Bible and so forth, have that going on simultaneously. Over time, people from churches started to send their own children uh, down there for these Sunday school classes, and then over time, it developed and morphed into what we have now, which is the National Sunday School Program. There are a lot of pros and cons on the whole Sunday school issue. We don't have time to get into all of those. Um, but I think one of the cons, if we can look at, at one of the uh, the negative outcomes of Sunday school, is that we've raised an entire generation of young adults who were never actually part of the church. They were only part of the junior church, if you will, or the youth group, and um, never really learned how to integrate into the life of the church and never really had to sit and listen to a sermon. And then when they're expected to later as teenagers or young adults, it's boring for them, and they don't they don't know how to sit there for an hour and listen to somebody teach. So that's something we've sought to avoid. We want our children from a very young age to learn how to sit and hear the Word of God and also to just be part of the life of the church, life mm-hmm. of the body, not of the junior church. So a lot of people have a problem with that. A lot of churches are resistant to it. A lot of churches actually can't handle it if your children sit with you in the service. Um, we've been asked more than once um, to not come back to a church if that's going to be our posture. And so um, we won't attend a church like that. If there's a church that has such a problem with our children being in the service that they want us to leave the church, well, we got to go find a different church. Um, so I, again, this is not a uh, podcast to... Um, the blast Sunday schools or youth groups or you know children's ministry. Um, there are some, I think, some definite um, pros on that side. But our family has opted out. You know, there are a lot of people who say, "Well, we couldn't have our children sit with us during the service because our children simply couldn't sit and be quiet that long." And so I wanted to talk about and have have Brooke talk a little bit about some of what we do as a family um, to kind of teach and train our children how to sit and be still in appropriate times. And I'm probably stealing a bit of your thunder, but I want to make sure we preface it and say that we don't hold to the view that children are supposed to be seen and not heard in every situation in life and that they're to walk around stiff as a board and that they're never supposed to uh, be loud and rambunctious. I mean, we, we have a lot of noise and a lot of activity <laughs> in our home. Um, but we just believe there are times where it's appropriate for them to um, to make some noise and be rowdy. And then there's other times, uh, a funeral comes to mind, for example, where it's not a blessing to people for your children to be running around or sliding underneath their chair or throwing Legos or whatever. They need to learn how to be quiet, how to sit still and be quiet. So, um, Brooke, why don't you talk a little bit about what we've learned over the years on that topic? Well, sure. Additionally, I wanted to just add that we've just seen a very powerful um, effect for our children, especially as they get a little older, you know, 8, 9, 10, somewhere in that range, when they are able to start perking up and listening 
they are able to really get something out of the sermon and be able to have that family connectedness, that family bonding that happens when we can discuss the sermon later, or just that we're all there together. Um, Even beyond that, I really feel it's important for our young people to see mom and dad being challenged in a setting of learning from the Word of God and the tension and value that the parents place on heeding the Word of God, of listening to a sermon can be very important for our young people to see, oh, this this is much bigger than just our family. This, this listening to the Word of God, of listening to sermons, of being challenged is much greater than just what goes on in our home. This is greater. This is within the church. I know for little ones, you know, six-year-olds have a very hard time sometimes paying attention to a sermon that is on an adult level. And yeah, I feel like we're not so much trying to say, oh, this has to fit their age level. This has to capture and reach their attention at those very tender young ages, especially two, three, six years old, but that this is a long-term vision we have. And because of that long-term vision, again, not anything against the new schools. We've just chosen for our family. This is how we want to go. These are the long-term results we're trying to place in our family of having them learn to sit still with us, having them be a part of um, hearing the sermon with us in a church setting, but it goes beyond that too. We've been able to take our children to lectures and to concerts and be able to know that everybody can stay there. Everybody can sit for the length and duration of, you know, an hour and a half concert or lecture and be able to gain something. It's been very beneficial for our family as a whole. For the little tinies, we also encourage families, hey, that sermon may not reach their age level, but during the week we have lots of opportunity to bring in uh, lessons and stories and Bible recountings that help them at their age level to gain from the Word of God. So if, if you're feeling like, well, I'm really struggling to try to capture some of this, but I'm not seeing any results, my four-year-old is not listening or my six-year-old's not paying any attention, I'd say, hang in there. Uh, so those are some of the goals that we've had. We had, uh, basically our first two children were a year and a half apart and Then we had another youngster just two years after that. So by the time we had three, we had um, some busy, busy times. Going to any kind of meeting was a hassle. We had not only the diaper bags to tote in, but then there was also trying to sit still with our youngsters. And I found it so, um, hmm, what's the word, exasperating maybe sometimes when you work through the week and I try to train my children how to sit still during the week. And yet every sermon, it seemed like the same thing would happen. They'd go, oh, if I kind of wiggle around enough or make enough squawking sounds, I'll get taken out. So I found that Israel and I were just taking one child after the other to sit out in the hallway so that we would not disrupt what was going on in the meeting. I felt like pulling my hair out at times because I was trying to work with our kiddos, trying to have sit still time during the week and not seeing any results. And so I'd ask older mothers, what is it that you did when you had young children to help them learn to sit still? And I, I, I have to laugh just in memory because sometimes it would seem like they had phased out and forgotten what had happened. They'd say, oh, I don't know. You know, we just sit with them. Well, well, tell me more. Tell me more about how you did it. Like, we're sitting with our children. I'm not seeing the results that I see that you are talking about that you had with your youngsters. Oh, well, we just, we'd read little Bible stories to them, and we'd sit with them, and and we'd encourage them. You know, this is a good thing to sit still and, and be calm at times. Well, eventually, I realized, in hindsight, now, their, their um, words were so on 
They were so right on because that's what it took with us is just having lots and lots of time to sit with our children. Like Israel said in our Bible time in the morning, just being able to quiet our quiet our household down and be able to put that emphasis on we're going to sit so we can hear the word of God. Now, I think one of the reasons I felt such frustration early on is I was focusing on the children need to sit still. They need to be quiet. When actually I wanted to ultimately gain their interest in hearing the word of God, I feel like there's a great benefit for little children to be able to control their body and to be able to tone down so their mind and heart are alert to hearing the word of God. That's awfully hard when you're two and you're three and you have that that strength and muscles that want to move around and run around. And so it's very important, I feel, that we provide plenty of opportunity for our children to run, to get those wiggles out, particularly if you have a child that's extra bouncy. It's, it's very wise just to take them out before um, any kind of sit-still time and let them run. I used to take our children out in parking lots if we were going to be at a conference or something and, and make specific points. Okay, run from here to there and come back to me and just help them get some wiggle time because life needs to have that balance between the uh, teaching time, that training time, and then also the um, you know childhood, getting their wiggles out, running around. Do you remember the first time that we were really confronted, that's not the right word, but challenged, that'd be a good word, challenged by the example of a family that we had had over to dinner. And this was before we had children, yes, I think. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we were just really newly married. It was a family that I had known, but um, as a newly married couple, we had this family over and they had seven children, I think from 14 to one, which is exactly the ages that our children are right now. Um, so they had seven children, mm-hmm. 14 to one. We have eight, 14 to one. And their children would sit in the living room and they could sit there for three or four hours with the family and enjoy listening to adult conversation. And they weren't bored out of their mind. They really enjoyed it. They would smile. They would laugh. They were very engaged in the whole thing. They didn't butt in. They didn't try to dominate the conversation. They didn't try to talk over the, the adults. They didn't interrupt um, they didn't, uh, they weren't showing off. They were just sitting there enjoying listening. And if they were asked a question, they would readily jump in and they were enthusiastic about telling you a story or something that went along with the conversation. Just really, honestly, some of the most delightful children I'd ever seen in my life. And, um, I was so impressed with this family and their example of, of what they had been able to do in training their children. Um, when I meet people like that, I, I tend to her borderline harass them <laughs> with questions. Yes. Uh, you know, how, how do, what do you do and how do you do what you do? And, and so I asked them, I said, so what do you guys do? I mean, like, how do you get your children to sit still and enjoy adult conversations without feeling bored? Um, and uh, I remember they told us a couple of things. And, and again, I'm not I'm not prescribing this for anybody else. I'm just telling you what they told me. Uh, and again, you'd have had to see these children because they were just genuinely delightful, loving, lively, vivacious, energetic, but extremely polite and kind children. Uh, but they said, well, the first thing we do is we don't let them have any friends. <laughs> which I thought was was kind of funny but they were they were only half joking um they, they homeschooled their children and uh they just very carefully limited 
the amount of social activity that their children had with other peers their age. Uh, so take that for whatever it is. Again, I'm not prescribing anything. I'm just saying that was that was what they did. Um, and the other thing they said was, and we, we don't allow them to have any kind of uh, television or video games at all, um, which I thought was pretty extreme. And that's something we do. You know, we, uh, we don't do the video games, but we, um, we do have uh, educational um, DVDs or uh, very wholesome um, or Christian-centered uh, family movies that they watch on occasion. And so we, we're very limited with that. Uh, we don't we don't have cable or anything like that. But uh, we have limited uh, multimedia exposure. They, they they had none. I mean, they just didn't do that at all. But anyway, um, and they encourage their children to um, have gardens and spend a lot of time outside. And uh, anyway, I was just amazed uh, at the at the family. But one of the things that they said was that they did daily uh, family devotion time. And they started with their children from the time that they were born. And that's one of the things that we've seen, isn't it, Brooke, that starting with them from the time they're mm-hmm. infants makes a big difference. It Can does. you talk about that? What, what does that look like? Or how do you, how do, you do that? Because if you just take a three or four-year-old who's never been taught to sit still and be quiet, and you start all of a sudden trying to train them in right. that direction, you're going to have a fight on your hands. Yes. Not necessarily a fight you can't win, but it's going to be a challenge. But... Um, there is a certain sense if you take a child from birth and you train and incline them in a certain direction, they don't know it's strange. Right. What does that look like? Yeah, well, it's it's a lot easier, I found. I found it the hard way. Uh, it's a lot easier to start when they're maybe about three to six months, somewhere in there, to just be able to work with a little child because they... They don't know any different. And so if you're just saying, no, no, you're not going to wiggle and turn around and do somersaults in mama's lap, then you have a lot more ability just to hold them gently and restrain them. And as they get to about a year, they really, really want to get down. You know, they found that newfound freedom of just taking their first steps and being able to crawl around. And so I have to gently say, no, no, we're going to sit still and just gently restrain them again. It's, it's, um, I think what I found when I was trying to train our our older children, our, our now older children when they were younger, you know, the three to four year, years of age, I found it so difficult because they were used to being let down or um, just having to walk the hall if they got loud and noisy during the service. And so it was much harder when I did seek to turn and curb that behavior because they were used to certain habits. But starting with the baby is so much easier. And I would really encourage moms and dads to look at this as a long-term uh, job. I think I see so many parents who have that two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old trying to sit with their children, even just during the, the worship time at a church service, and finding it so very frustrating because they want that child to sit still and the child's not cooperating. And I would say there has to be a lot of um, at-home <laughs> time, and it's just gentle time. There doesn't need to be a harshness involved right. here. It's yeah, so I'd easy. like to jump into that. Yeah. I mean, this is not a situation where, you know, you've got a child one year old or less um, and they're squirming trying to get down, you know, where you're needing to spank the child and have this big fight and knock down, drag out. You really don't need to do that. You really just can hold that child on your lap and you do have to restrain them. Mm-hmm. You have to provide They'll, they'll wiggle some, and try to get down. Yeah, that's their wiggle and try to get down. I mean, th- that's mm-hmm. what they want to do. Um, you have to restrain them. Now, what happens when you try to restrain them? Oh, oftentimes they'll try to make a loud noise, and that's why we do it at home 
where it's okay. We can hold our Bible lesson for two minutes while the child lets out some noise. It's usually not even that long. I am amazed. Children catch on very quickly. Okay, this didn't work. This isn't going to get me anywhere. And they will learn to quiet down. And it's just that simple restraint of, nope, you're going to sit still. And of course, um, you know, give a few minutes and they try again, try to wiggle around. But eventually, even at a year old, we're seeing progress with some of our little guys that they they pretty much will just sit on my lap for that duration of the time. It really comes down to consistency. It does. It comes down to consistency. And so I again want to emphasize there needs to be gentleness in this because this is a this is a long-term goal. Um, you know, you are going to be embarrassed as a mom or a dad. And this is one area, you know, you're out in public, you're out in a, what's an important setting, a funeral or a wedding, or even just like the other day we had um, grandparents come visit, great-grandparents come visit, and it was so wonderful to be able to sit still, have our children not running around or interrupting or um, making noise, but being able to join together because all that sit-still training time has brought about some ability to breathe a little easier. But I will say you're going to be embarrassed at some point because your child won't sit still. And instead of taking that out as an exasperation or frustration or even anger that your child's not doing what you want, I would encourage you take the time when you've got time in the week or make the time really because there's no, no available time, I'm sure. But make the time to just gently work with that child, show them this is what we're doing right now. We're sitting still. We're, we're learning how to keep ourselves quiet and how to keep our bodies still can go such a long ways. And really, it's the consistency. Our goal, again, is not to just create little robots that sit there and are quiet because that doesn't bear any good fruit for the kingdom. What we're trying to do is help them sit still so they can pay attention, so they can learn, so they can open up their heart to the word of God. And um, just as Israel said, that kind of comes from making their diet not so, you know, uh, so full of quick-paced movies, video games, um, just everything oriented towards fast pleasure, immediate uh, gratification, so that this this sitting still is not the end of the world. It's not a drudgery for them. Make it interesting. We even sometimes will add little snippets of a film into our time when we're training our children. So there's there's a change of pace. They're, they're putting their attention somewhere. And this teaching them how to focus and how to pay attention goes such a long ways into then homeschooling. I have found it's remarkable how um, a young child is like this sponge that really will gain so much. They just are soaking up information. They're soaking up all kinds of learning. And between the ages of about four to seven is a wonderful window. And the more longer I homeschool, I just see how much more that's the time and age we need to focus on as far as really presenting a lot of teaching. We tend to let our preschool ages, you know, the three and four year olds, wander maybe a little bit because, oh, they're just playing or they're going to that. And that's very helpful. There are there are times when that's essential. But those little ones um, can learn to give attention, and that just provides a really good foundation for later on in their elementary years. I wanted to comment on something and then ask a question. One of my comments is the issue of anger is a really important one, and we're mm-hmm. going to address that in some upcoming podcasts. But one of the things you have to remember as a parent is if you are angry and you're having a bad attitude during this uh, family Bible time, you're making your children miserable and they're going to hate it. You don't want to have family Bible time be something that they hate and that they just can't stand being there. 
And so um, your demeanor, your attitude is going to have an awful lot to do with this being something that they look forward to, something yes. that they enjoy, as opposed to something that they're just constantly rolling their eyes and trying to get, you know, can't wait till it's finished and how much longer and all that kind of thing. Um, you really are kind of the thermostat for the temperature of, of their of your home in that environment, and uh, they're taking their cues to a great extent on just how terrible and horrible and miserable you make the experience exactly, uh, or how enjoyable you make it. So it's well, a really important thing. I think for me that um, having my expectations shifted a little bit has been really helpful because when I expect, oh, we're going to have Bible time, so therefore I'm going to have my children learn to sit or be quiet and sit still during this time is um, sets me up for failure and for then feeling like, okay, I failed or this has made me look bad in public, so therefore I'm angry or I'm going to lash out with harshness in the way I either talk to my child or then what kinds of expectations I have on them. And as I've come to a place of no, especially in our home for the Bible time, being able to say the Bible time is part of our training time. And so while our goal is to teach our children to sit still, to receive the word of God, having that time is realizing that time is for um, the training grounds helps me not sweat it when there's a child who is having a difficult time sitting still or they're loud. And it helps us to go, okay, our long-term goal is to help them focus. And so we just work on work on it until we can reach a point that they're able to focus again, talk them through it gently. Another thing I want to mention is you had uh, talked about their media diet and not getting them all hyped up with entertainment that... Uh, excites them in a negative way um, and then expecting them to be able to subdue themselves. But what about physical diet? What does that look like? That's important too. (laughs) We had one particular child that as soon as she got sugar, she would literally bounce off the walls. I mean, it was almost a riot to watch at two years old, this little child just literally doing dances and flips at midnight just because she'd had a little cupcake or some sort of sugar. She's very sensitive. And I, I find that it's very important for moms and dads not to um, fill up their children with, you know, Mountain Dew or sugar or whatever might be their trigger. Red dyes, I know, are a trigger for a lot of children to be able to um, put those foods into their little children's bodies. Remember, they're very small, kind of like us doing mega doses of caffeine. And then requiring them all of a sudden, no, you you have this body that's now got the jitters, but you're going to have to sit still. It's just a cruelty, in my opinion, to be able to expect something when we've fed them um, foods or, you know, sugars, etc., that that fuel their body in the opposite direction. So what let's just uh, wrap up the show here. What is it that we're going for? Ultimately, what is the primary motive behind teaching your children to sit still and be quiet? Is it so that they won't embarrass you in public? Is it so that, you know, you can get more things done in your day? Is it so that, you know, they can sit like statues and <laughs> be nice little decorations around your home? What, what's what's the goal? That's a good point. It, it's so um, tempting. It's so easy to want to just have a child that makes you look good. And that's one of the things I think that comes to moms and dads in the toddler years is you have to realize this child is certainly not going to make me look good. That's just not what a child is there for. And there's going to be times, even when you start doing well in the home, that the child's going to embarrass you in public. 
that's just part of the game, folks. And so I would encourage you, um, make a higher goal because you you do not want to have goals that um, that your children are going to hate you for later of just you making them look good or them sitting still as statues and not having any food for the soul. What we're going for is a heart attitude that their hearts can actually receive God's word and listen to it. And then as as the Holy Spirit stirs in them a response. I always tell my children, first we look, then we listen, and then we respond. And so this is a long-term process. It, it's going to take years and years. About the age of eight, you know, I, I tend to really start working on the child as far as now you're, you're doing well sitting still and you're, you're here for the sermon or here for Bible time or even just when we're visiting sometimes when we're having um, hospitality in, or in another person's home and being able to visit. This is a time to engage your mind, engage your heart and hear what is being said to um, be fully participating in it, not just sitting there like a lump. That's not the goal. I've often reminded our children that the reason we're here is that we want to know, love, and serve God and love and serve other people. And you can't learn about God or anything else, for that matter, if you don't learn how to shut your mouth and listen. Um, Listening is one of the fundamental prerequisites of all learning. And you can't listen if you don't learn how to be quiet. So being quiet is an important part of learning how to listen. Listen is an important part of learning. And one of the fundamental purposes of learning is so that you are trained and equipped to know how to serve other people, Mm -hmm. to love and serve other people. So when you go out in a social uh, setting, like a public place, um, you're, you're to be thinking about how you can be a blessing to other people. How can you make other people uh, feel encouraged? How can you help them? How can you benefit them? And uh, in a setting like a church meeting or you know, some kind of a, a public setting, when it's appropriate for people to be still and quiet, um, your children can learn that they can be a blessing to other people by having uh, polite manners, by being respectful, uh, by learning how to be quiet, learning how to sit still when it's appropriate. And uh, in that way, um, they can benefit and help and encourage and bless other people, which is, uh, which is a goal. It's something they need to be mindful. When they go out someplace in public, the purpose of their existence is not to please themselves, uh, even though th- that is what's natural to them. That's their natural inclination is, I just want to do what I want to do. But they need to train their hearts and minds to think about others and to be others-focused and think about how what is the best way that I can possibly bless other people in this situation. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage you guys to uh, check out my book, which is called Full-Time Parenting, a guide to family-based discipleship, and you can get a copy of that on our website, which is familyrenewal.org, familyrenewal.org, and also um, visit our Facebook page. We have a Facebook page for Family Renewal. It's facebook.com forward slash familyrenewal. I have uh, an author page also, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash Israel Wayne Author. And uh, when you go to our website, familyrenewal.org, Uh, There's a place, there's a button there that you can sign up on our mailing list. We strongly encourage you to do that. We would love to be able to um, keep you posted on what we're doing, new books that are coming out, when we're going to be in your area doing an event. Uh, We also send out just like a once a month uh, email newsletter, kind of keeps you up to date with what's going on with us. So we look forward to connecting with you uh, online and through our e-newsletter. We appreciate you listening to our podcast. Uh, Thank you all very much. God bless. Bye-bye.